The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is the Employment Law Show. Good to have you along. John Scholes here. Chris Justice, arguably the best name for a lawyer ever. Chris Justice, Sanfiru Tamarkin is here answering all of your questions. And we have some fresh blood at the station. Our good pal Wafa is on the controls. She's taking care of us, so everything's going to go smoothly for sure, I, uh, I guarantee it. So so there you go. You have time right now to call in over the next half hour and talk to us. Questions on air can be had and answered. Email, if we get some time, is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the main topic, uh, number one at least, will be changes to your job, what you should know. We'll get to something else if we have time a little later on, but uh, we always start off with a... Uh, a story of the day, a new story, or a week that was. Chris, what do you got? To, what do you got going on, pal? Yeah, so I figured I'd talk about something that has continued to occur um, ever since. Well, well, when the pandemic started evolving and employers started calling people back, um, I've been getting you know numerous calls from people about what their rights are. Uh, in the news, Amazon's calling a bunch of its staff back. Um, shifting to sort of a hybrid work model, which I'm seeing more and more nowadays. And uh, I guess in Amazon's case, they're having their employees come back for at least three days a week in their respective offices, and then I, I suppose spend the other two at home. Yeah. But again, a lot of people come to me and ask, you know, whether Amazon or not, can my employer force me to return back to the office, given that I've been working from home for, you know, say two plus years now in the pandemic, and I can completely do my job 100% no issue. And, you know, despite the, I guess, practical nature of having to work from home and that being effective, um, for the most part, a lot of employees are going to be disappointed to hear that maybe their employer can uh, have them come back. Because um, the thing about the, the situation with the pandemic is that, you know, a lot of these people were working um, in the office before the pandemic started. And the pandemic then sort of triggered, uh, I guess, from the employer's perspective, what would be a temporary measure um, to have them work from home. And so even though, again, it may make all the sense in the world that you can do your job from home, um, people should definitely think twice before pushing too hard uh, against their employer who's calling them back in. That said, there are also some people who were hired on as remote workers um, who got hired maybe in the pandemic or maybe have a contract that specifically speaks to the ability to work from home or doesn't mention anything about having to go into an office nine to five. And in those cases, it's, it's a lot more likely that your employer cannot make you shift in office work. And, and if they do, that could be a breach of your contract and potentially trigger some pretty big severance rights. Yeah, I remember when that whole thing started to really, uh, you know, they started to shut down workplaces and otherwise and people working from home. And then people, I know quite a few people, Chris, that took the next step and they said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving from Young and Bloor and I'm, I'm going to shift the family up to Tuktoyaktuk, north of the Arctic Circle, and work from here because I got internet. I'm like, oh, you might not want to pull that trigger so fast. And so yeah. many people now are like 905, 705, and their their employer, to your point, saying, yeah, okay, well, the good times are over. You can stay there twice a week, but we need you back down at Young and Dundas. And they're like, oh, great. I'm helping <laughs> yeah, you yeah. now. But they, no. they, they don't have a choice, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And that that's a huge risk. I know a lot of people, yeah. I, I know a bunch of clients have come to me saying, yeah, I'm now miles away, hours away from where I used to be. Yeah. And then you're in this real bind because, yeah, the employer arguably has the legal right to make you come back in. It was your decision to move. Maybe it wasn't really clarified early on. So it's just something that, 
you know, whether you're being just granted the ability to work from home, you're going to want to get some legal advice. If you're thinking about pushing back against your employer and sending them an email saying, no, you're not going back under any circumstance, you know, you're going to want to get some legal advice first. So it is a, it is a tricky situation, but I'm sure one that I'll see more as we come along. And by the way, you can reach out to Chris anytime, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Before we get into a break, I want to grab a uh, grab a phone call quickly. Hey, Mark, thanks for taking the time. How are you, pal? Oh, great. And you guys? Good. What's on your Doing mind? Well. I, I, got, I listen to the show quite a bit. You always talk about severance uh, when uh, an employer lets you go. Mm-hmm. What about when you resign? What, what are you entitled to with respect to vacation or, or anything else? Yeah, so resignation is very much a different story. If if it's, I'm assuming it's a voluntary resignation because there are some situations where employees are essentially put in a position where they're almost forced to resign, say due to a toxic work environment or or something along those lines. That's a very different situation, and you could actually be entitled to severance, but. If you're just in a situation where you're voluntarily leaving your employer, maybe you've found another work opportunity or you've decided you just don't really like the job anymore, but there's nothing too bad going on in the work environment itself, then all you're generally going to be owed are any unpaid wages or amounts that would be owed to you as of your last day, any vacation pay based on those wages and amounts. But really beyond that, for the most part, you're not going to be uh, looking at much else. Okay. So, so if I get four weeks vacation a year, what is it prorated from the, I guess, January 1st? Yeah. So, so there's a difference between vacation uh, time and vacation pay. So if you have four weeks of vacation time each year, it could be the case that you're getting about 8% or maybe even just 6% on your wages for vacation pay. So whatever wages, let's say you've earned up until now, let's say your last day with the company is March 30th. Um, then you would at least get your vacation pay, say 6 or 8% from the wages that you earned from January to March. So you want to make sure that you definitely get your vacation pay and otherwise all outstanding wages owed to you. Okay, thanks, guys. You've been great. Thanks, Thank Mark. You. Appreciate that. Let's just uh, get Dan in here quickly before we break. Hey, Dan, what's your question? Well, I just wonder, federally regulated employee, hmm. I'm wondering if I'm uh, retiring uh, in the uh, end of July, and I um, have six weeks vacation, but I'm told that I'm not entitled to all my vacation. Yeah, so very similar to our last caller in terms of uh, someone's entitlements when they quit their job. Um, and as I was saying to, I think it was Mark, um, you are going to be entitled to some vacation pay throughout the year, at least the prorated year that you worked. And so if your last day, let's say, is a month or two from now and you work that full time frame full on, then you're going to at the very least be entitled to your vacation pay on the earnings that you've made up until your very last day with the company. But if you are talking about vacation time and you're thinking, well, I want those extra three weeks of the of the, ha- the second half of the year, it doesn't quite work like that. So you're not going to be able to get that, uh, unfortunately. So I'm talking about vacation that I... Uh, work for from last year, like I, I get six weeks vacation at the beginning of the year. Just wondering if I'm entitled to use those six weeks this year before I retire. Oh, well, I would say, number one, that might come down to the vacation policy your employer has. Usually, as we go along in the calendar year, your vacation sort of accrues throughout the year. So if you have, let's say, six months in in a given year and you get six weeks per year, 
then normally you would be entitled to at the very least three weeks of vacation time. So if you wanted to ask for that vacation time, say in the build-up to your resignation, um, then you should be able to do that. Um, it, as I say, it may come down to the contract or something regarding the vacation policy, but at the very least you should be looking at that from your employer. Okay, thank you for your help. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate Thank that. Any uh, further questions, you can reach out at one 821 5900 We'll get to a short break and get back into our topic for the evening and your phone calls. I see you there, Al. We'll get to you after that break. And you can make that phone call, too. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show. Al, thanks for standing by, big fella. How are you? Good, Matt. How are you? All right. Good. What's uh, what's on your mind? Thanks for taking my call. Listen, I've, I've been working a seasonal job for about 10 years. And uh, this year, they've told me, even before I come back, that I might go. Hmm. So, uh, where do we go from here? Yeah, no. So I, you know, I guess the main question is, in your case, what are you owed? What are your rights? What are your entitlements? And I think people should know that if you are a seasonal worker and you get fired or you lose your job, then you get severance pay just like a full-time salary hourly employee type deal. So you can get anywhere from a few weeks to upwards of two years of full severance pay. Even if you're a seasonal worker, it's just going to come down to the same factors that, that apply to most employees, that being how long you've been there, what your age is, what specific role you had and how much you're making and what availability of similar work there is out there like what you had. But um, you definitely don't want to misunderstand anything in terms of seasonal workers getting anything less than your you know full year-round employees. Um, if you are, I guess, uh, full-time, fixed-term, part-time, permanent, seasonal, doesn't matter, yeah, if you've been let go and you've lost your job as a result of a termination, then you are going to be looking at severance. So I'd definitely say give us a call, and uh, we can do everything we can to help you out and make sure you get that money that you deserve. Okay. Yes, I'm, I'm like 63 years old. And, and yeah. been there for like 10 years, right? Right. And, and the age is important. As I say, age is one of the factors that the courts look at in this province. And typically for individuals in that age range, you could get even more severance than, say, someone in your position who might be only 43 years old. So Thanks, I would say Al, give us a that. call, yeah. Yep. Thank you. Here's the number, Al, is, uh, as, you, as you go for the night, one 821 5900 Again, one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. you still got some time, by the way, you want to give us a call. But the topic for the night, as mentioned, um, changes to your job, what you should know, number one, can my employer make changes to my job? We kind of uh, talked about that in a kind of roundabout way with Amazon bringing people back. But uh, what do you say about that, Chris? Yeah, so generally speaking, especially when it comes to significant and uh, significantly negative changes, uh, employers cannot make those changes to your job. Now, to some degree, this will depend on what's in a contract that you may or may not have signed, um, whether and to what extent there's some language in that contract around the employer's ability to make changes. But ordinarily, when it comes, again, to significant changes, uh, an employer cannot make those changes without your consent. 
Um, so if you are a non-unionized employee in Ontario and you are in a situation where your employers made drastic modifications to your job, uh, you definitely also have to remember to act fast because you don't want to wait too long when your employer makes changes, if, especially if you don't agree to them. Um, that, that can be having you seen as accept, essentially accepting those changes or condoning those changes and then make it more difficult to kind of reverse that damage later on. The term that pops up on this show all the time, and our you know our regular season listeners will know it, but constructive mm-hmm. dismissal crops up. What is that? Yeah, so it's exactly the the situation I described. Um, that being when your employer makes a significant change to the terms of your contract that you basically didn't sign up for. Um, a lot of times, unfortunately, this happens. Sometimes the the changes can sort of be a number of little changes that pile up. Other times, the changes can be quite significant and large and happen immediately. Um, so, so to some extent, you're going to want to judge each case on on its own facts. But um, that's essentially the definition when that big change happens and when the employee does not consent to it. So, if you're in that situation and and you don't agree to it, you may have the ability to essentially resign from your job and get full severance pay as though you were let go. And that was somewhat what I was alluding to uh, in the earlier part of the show on that caller. Yeah. What would be some examples of constructive dismissal if people don't know? Yeah, so I'd say some of the most common examples of constructive dismissal, um, number one would be, of course, any reduction in your pay or your compensation. Maybe they take away a bonus. Maybe they take away a commission. Maybe they reduce your salary. Now, I guess if the change when it comes to this isn't so big, um, it's possible an employer could get away with it. But when you start talking about changes in excess of 10% or greater, uh, employers are going to run a real risk of that clearly constituting a constructive dismissal. Um, you've got other issues like reducing hours of work. So say going from 40 hours to 30, that's typically going to be seen as a constructive dismissal. Um, obviously, any demotions, changes to your job title without your consent, um, creating a toxic uh, and unsafe work environment. So that could be a whole plethora of examples there, whether it's workplace harassment um, or, or something that's making the, the workplace generally toxic, uh, as well as if they change your work location or, or even put you on layoff. A lot of people think that companies have the ability, and this goes back to the pandemic days, that their employer could just unilaterally put them on a layoff. Um, that's not necessarily the case, especially if your contract doesn't speak to the employer's ability to actually do that. So... These are these are just some of the major changes of constructive dismissals or examples rather. What happens if they they come to you and say you know what Chris we're uh, we're we're changing your title you know your 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 pay is going we're not we're not affecting your pay at all you're going to keep making the same scratch you did before but your job title and your job's going to change so it doesn't hurt too much does that qualify as well if you don't like it? Yeah, I think it absolutely can. You know, a lot of times employers may think that by keeping the wages where they are and changing a title, that's not going to really um, make much of a difference. It's going to soften the blow. And I, I suppose to, to some extent, it'll depend on what the title is. You know, a lot of companies have titles that I've just never heard of, frankly, before. And, <laughs> you know, you don't know what they necessarily mean. But um, it could be a loss of prestige. You know, you could be uh, maybe no longer reporting to a certain someone, but reporting to someone below them, or maybe someone that reported to you might now be the, your direct report. So it's not really just about money, you know, loss of prestige, loss of seniority, and just the circumstances, I think, surrounding the title change could cause some embarrassment or humiliation. So even that on its own could potentially constitute a constructive dismissal. Now, if, if someone's listening in these changes or they go, that sounds like me, that just happened recently, or they're, or they're just, their spidey sense is telling them they're getting wind that these changes <clears throat> might be coming down, what should they do? Yeah, I was saying just a second ago that you've got to make your voice heard. You've got to, uh, you can't be silent. 
Um, because if you're silent, uh, your silence is going to be viewed as you condoning those changes. And the longer you wait, you know, not to say if you wait a day or two, you're, you're, you're dead to rights, but the longer you wait, um, the harder it's going to be to, um, reverse that damage. So you want to raise your concerns immediately. Um, otherwise you're putting yourself at risk. If you don't, you're going to want to raise those concerns. I always say any communication, put it in writing, make a yes. record of it, text message, email, something with a date stamp. Um, that's perfect. You know, try to be as clear and concise as you can be. Um, and, and so definitely make a record of it for, for future use potentially. Uh, you don't want to get too um, caught up in it and just jump the gun and resign right away. Uh, certainly not before getting legal advice because, you know, there is a way to exit a situation like that and get severance, but there's also a way to exit it and completely screw everything up too. So you want to get some legal advice before you just jump the gun and, and send out a resignation letter saying you quit. Um, that's absolutely fundamental. Uh, workplace harassment, let's talk about that employee rights and employee obligations. It's a broad term. We hear it all the time yeah. in the news and otherwise, but what really is workplace harassment? What qualifies as workplace harassment? Yeah, it is It is a broad, it definitely can be a broad definition encompassing a lot of different things. This is um, for sure one of the more common things that I've had to deal with these days. Um, but essentially, it's any type of conduct that is I would say unwelcome or reasonably considered to be unwelcome. You know, it could be coming from a coworker of yours. Um, could be someone maybe higher up, uh, someone you report to, your boss, maybe the owner. Um, that can all be workplace harassment, uh, whether it's maybe someone talking down to you, um, using foul language, making fun of you, teasing you, um, excluding you from meetings or setting you up to fail. Um, you know, generally something that I think an outsider looking inside would consider uh, a poisoned work environment. You know, you try to always view these things as objective as possible. I know a lot of times um, some people may think, you know, one thing is harassment when it isn't. Um, but yeah, generally if someone on the outside would consider it to be poisoned work environment, you know, and any of those things could certainly qualify that I mentioned, um, then, then you for sure would be experiencing workplace harassment in my view. As far as the employer's point of view, what is their obligation if some of this crops up? Yeah, it's very serious. I mean, they've got they've got a, a proactive obligation to prevent workplace harassment. They can't just sit around and do nothing. They've got to make sure that policies are in place, uh, setting out what is right, what is wrong, appropriate, not appropriate. Uh, they've got to have a clear process designed by which someone can raise a complaint, uh, raise a concern, you know, in terms of who to go to, what the what the procedure is there, um, and, and they've got to make sure they're communicating it to their employees. It's not enough just to you know stamp something up into a corner, let it collect dust. You got to clearly communicate these things um, so that everyone's well aware. And ultimately, if a complaint is brought forward, the employer has to take it seriously. They can't turn a blind eye, even if they think it might be um, without merit or overblown. You know, they're generally required to investigate every um, complaint that's launched and uh, do a thorough investigation. They can't just do something willy-nilly, maybe, you know, have uh, a brief little excerpt written out and that's it. No, they've got to bring in someone either on the inside or outside that has an expertise in the matter and, you know, do a very thorough uh, report and uh, obviously come to hopefully a resolution. Let's spin the table around. What's the employee's objective in this? What are they supposed to do? Yeah, they've, they've got a, I, th you know, a lot of employees, a lot of people I talk to, they kind of want to leave right away. And, and there are opportunities, I think, depending on how bad it's gotten and what the circumstances are for someone to leave. But there are also situations where 
they haven't even raised the concern yet to the employer and they haven't even given the employer even one chance to try to rectify the situation. And I think generally speaking, that's what I tell people first that they haven't done it is let's see if we can try to fix the problem. You know, give the employer the opportunity to fix it. Let them sort of hopefully follow that positive active obligation they have to prevent these issues from happening. You know, maybe look at the policy, see what it requires. Um, you know, again, make a record of these things. Make sure you're sending emails. Um, but, but yeah, you need to give them that opportunity first. And then if they fail you in some way, whether it's a faulty investigation, they brush it under the rug, you know, then you've got a much stronger case against the employer. But, but first, you know, try to fix it because also you may never know if, if a remedy can be reached, you might be able to keep your job. You may not even want to leave necessarily if there's some way to resolve it satisfactorily to everyone. So that, that's the first thing I think they need to do. Right. Have a quick call. Scott, thanks for hanging in and uh, taking the time tonight. How are you? About yourself? Good. What's on your mind? I'm just wondering, uh, as a foreman, are you allowed to uh, uh, get your attention uh, of your employees by raising your voice and uh, implementing strict uh, uh, code ethics in order to get their attention in that without uh, getting deemed as harassment and following safety procedures? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you you sort of gave one example, a specific example of, of raising your voice and then a more general one about having a strict code of ethics. So I'll talk about the raising of the voice first. I think, you know, it's going to come down to context. You know, if you're in a library, for example, to be extreme about it and you're shouting at somebody, it's probably going to be seen a lot less to be reasonable than if you're in a very noisy factory trying to get the attention of somebody. So I think context is important there. And I think ultimately, if you're communicating to someone and you're absolutely required to yell or raise your voice in that way, you're probably not going to be at much risk. But if you're in a regular office setting and you're raising your voice when there's not necessarily a need to do so, which probably rarely there would be, I think you could run the risk of that being considered an unwelcome form of conduct. Um, I, I don't know uh, to what extent it would go through all the channels of the harassment investigation process, but I would say technically that could meet the definition of harassment. So you'd want to be careful there. Um, and then on the strict code of ethics, I, I think you just have to be a bit more precise. I'm not sure what you mean by that, but um, it would depend. Well, with uh, dress code and, and uh, tardiness and all that, yeah, I mean, again, the definition of workplace harassment, as broad as it is, would be any unwelcome conduct um, from an outsider's perspective or reasonably speaking. Uh, I think implementing a dress code it wouldn't necessarily qualify as a workplace harassment issue. It would just be a matter of whether or not you have the right to do that. You know, there are going to be workplaces where dress codes are more appropriate or even where the contract says we want you to dress in a certain way. Um, but then there's also going to be settings where it's not. And if you're continually telling people to dress a certain way over time when you not necessarily have the right to do that, that could be seen as harassment. So it, it again, kind of depends on the context there. Um, and what was the other thing you were saying? Sorry. Uh, we lost him. I think, I think that was about it. He was just oh, okay. thinking about uh, conduct and then you know, raising his voice. And again, to, to your point, Chris, I worked in a factory for many years, and it was like, yeah, everybody shouted yeah. at everybody to, to talk over the machines, and we all had to wear the same uniform because it was dirty. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Sure. But yeah, like if Scott, you're, you're listening, just give us a shout. I'm happy to guide you through everything and just make sure that everything's being done above board. You're not putting yourself at risk and um, nonetheless getting your employees to be efficient and effective. And that is pretty much a wrap. Thank you very much for all your uh, correspondence for call, uh, calling into the show. And any emails can be forwarded and answered anytime. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is how you send an email along and to get a hold of Chris and his team. 
1-855-821-5900. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Wafa, back at the station, doing a great job, of course, Maiden Voyage. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the Employment Law Show. Have a good night. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.